0: on fire This is Mark McCloskey on fire on News Talk STL I get I get up again to me I get I get
1: up again to me I'm going to start right in where I was last week Ladies and gentlemen if you value your life stay the hell out of the city of St. Louis It's become ever worse every day and you know We were talking a little bit last week about uh, how, thanks to Kim Gardner and the fact that there's no law enforcement in the city of St. Louis, that young lady from Tennessee got her legs cut off by some guy that blew a stoplight and uh, ran her down. Well, guess what? It just gets worse. This week, of course, last Sunday, middle of the night, guy running south on Grand Boulevard blows through the stoplight goes into oncoming traffic to avoid the cars who were parked ahead of him on who had actually obeyed the law and stopped at the red light, hits an SUV, causing it to veer over the bridge through the guardrail, landing upside down on Forest Park Boulevard below, killing four and injuring four. You know, and as I said on my Facebook page this week, if, uh, if that guy, who, by the way, when the accident was over, accident my you-know-what, um, he uh, got out of his car and ran, all right? Well, if he'd killed those four people and critically wounded four more with an AR-15, it'd be on the front page of every paper in the United States, front news story on CNN and uh, NBC and even, even Fox would have articles on it. So why hasn't anybody heard of it? I put out on my Facebook page right after it happened the basic facts and I said, for those of you that don't live in St. Louis, have you ever heard about this? And everybody said, no, even people as close as Springfield, Missouri and Kansas City and everywhere outside of the city of St. Louis said, no, we've never heard about this. Four killed, four critically wounded, and it's not news. Why is it news? Because in the United States of America these days, the value of a human life is directly related to the amount of political capital or money that can be made out of your life. Good afternoon. I'm Mark McCloskey on fire. This is News Talk STL. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the ongoing crisis in the city of St. Louis. Thanks to Kim Gardner. Thanks to our mayor. Thanks to 78 years or more of Democrat-controlled government in the city of St. Louis. We always rank number one in murders. Um, although, you know, lately you got you to, you know, it's a toss-up with uh, with New Orleans, who also has a great, you know, liberal progressive government but you know do you want to be number one or do you want to be number two you know you step in number two it ain't such a good thing right but i mean we've got the murder capital of the world you know i'll tell you a little bit i've been uh, living in the city of st louis right on the side of uh, king's highway for 35 years now i can't tell you the number of times we've seen tremendous accidents I, i one of my favorites this goes back a few years Guy gets off work at uh, Barnes Hospital, driving north on King's Highway, loses it. Now, you got to appreciate those of you that that aren't local here. King's Highway is six lanes wide, perfectly straight, no turns, no bumps, no bruises, 35-mile-an-hour speed limit. This guy loses it going straight north on King's Highway, goes off the road on the sidewalk between the tree strip and the walls of the people's houses, eventually runs into a giant sycamore tree in his uh, 70s ghetto cruiser, the, tr- the car goes um, up against the tree to where the, the top of the car bends around the tree and uh, is is left standing, nose down, butt up in the air, wrapped around the tree, and the guy gets out and runs. Well, I see all this happen, and so I wait for the cops to show up, and we're looking at it. There's all kinds of contraband, there's drugs, there's everything else falling out of the car, and uh, the cops say, uh, Can you give me a description of the guy that did this? And I said, yeah, I can. he's right over there. He's walking back down to to watch the cops watch his wreck, right? And I mean, it just happens over and over and over in St. Louis. There's absolutely no respect for the law, absolutely no fear of retribution. But guess what? Um, They're going to divert some COVID relief money now to solve the problem in the city of St. Louis. They just announced it. You know how they're going to solve this problem? Are they going to arrest people that run red lights? Are they going to put people in jail that kill people? No. You know, it's just like when there is a, quote, mass killing with a gun. It's a gun's fault. In this case, it's the intersection's fault. The fact that some bad boy runs a red light, goes into oncoming traffic, runs the car off the road, kills four, and critically injures four others. It's not the bad boy's fault, mind you. It's the intersection's fault. And so if you fix that intersection, you'll fix society. Well, this is just absolute nonsense. I mean, um, I gotta, I gotta digress a little bit, though. So, uh, why hasn't anybody heard about this? Well, I suspect one thing. I suspect that both the uh, um, the perpetrator and the victims are all black. Add something to it. When uh, when we first moved into the city of St. Louis and. We were living an idyllic life out in West St. Louis County with property and our horses and all that kind of stuff. And we decided to move into the city to live in a, in a, in a townhouse here, you know, one of the big historic houses. And all our neighbors out in, out in town country told us we were nuts. But, you know, we thought we, we'd be doing ourselves some, some good service to move down here. But one of the things we noticed immediately is that every night people get killed, but they're all black people. So the newspapers didn't care. If you got shot in the city of St. Louis from when I first moved in in 1988 to this morning, if you're black, you don't get a one-inch-by-one-column report in the Post-Dispatch or any other newspaper. We always wondered, why was it that that people in the city of St. Louis don't get upset when when their deaths mean nothing? When the death of Joan Benet Ramsey 30 years ago was still on the front page of, of the tabloids, when you've got a murder trial going on, for week after week after week for a white lawyer in South Carolina that's accused of killing two people, how come it is that if you're a black guy in St. Louis and you get killed or four black guys in St. Louis and you get killed, nobody cares? Well, the answer is you can't make any political hay out of it. And the other thing is, in this case, with so the, the uh, intersection accident haha, at, uh, at Grand and Forest Park, it took a while to get the kids out of the car because, amongst other things, the cops found five guns in the car. You have eight teenage or just adult young men in one SUV at two o'clock in the morning, and one of the survivors said, quote, "I was heading out to have fun at 1:30 in the morning, eight kids in a car, five guns. What kind of what kind of fun are we looking at at that point? Well, it's just, it's just life as usual in the city of St. Louis. I, I, I'll tell you another interesting example of what it's like to, to live and work in the city of St. Louis and in murder capital of the world. We, uh, we mediated a case at a mediation service down on North 7th Street. And the mediation went till about 2 o'clock in the morning. And the mediation room is on the first floor with a big plate glass window that looks out across the street to the parking lot. And, you know, we were told not to park in that parking lot, and we didn't really appreciate why. But starting at about midnight, uh, people started coming out of the darkness. I mean, we're not talking 1 or 2. We're talking 10 or 15 and the people came out and tried every door on every car and methodically went from car to car to car. It was it was like the Night of the Living Dead. And, uh, you know, when it came time to actually leave at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, everybody was afraid to leave the building. I mean, you imagine this goes on every night all throughout the city of St. Louis. Wherever you are in the city of St. Louis, if you don't lock your car, it gets tossed. If you do lock your car, when I first moved in the city of St. Louis, we just got to the point where we stopped locking the cars because we got tired of buying windows and convertible tops. And you know, this is not recent. It's uh, it's gotten, of course, a lot worse under Kim Gardner, but it, uh, it's been going on in St. Louis for as long as we've had that quote liberal, that quote, quote progressive government. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about what happens when you get somebody like Kim Gardner uh, in control. Um, she has created in just her six short years, as circuit attorney, a culture of violence, lawlessness, and death that's unparalleled in the the United States and unparalleled in the history of St. Louis. She promotes violence. She promotes this culture of death by not prosecuting anyone. And the people that she does prosecute typically get off. In the last six months that she's been prosecutor in the city of St. Louis, they've gotten about 25% of the people that they've tried found guilty as charged. Another, another 25% that pled to or are convicted of lesser charges. So we're talking about the 30% of cases of felony cases that get filed that she actually brings to trial. She wins outright about 25% and gets some kind of conviction on another 25%. So you do the math and you think about how worried you might be about having to go to jail if you get, if you get caught doing a crime in the city of St. Louis. And then you do the risk analysis and you think, am I, gonna, am I going to uh, go knock over that liquor store? Am I going to go out and, and do that drug deal? Am I going to go out and shoot my, my uh, drug competition at the risk of maybe some years down the road if they don't forget who I am or if they don't make up the story that the victim has died and and can't, pro- and can't testify against me? Or do I go ahead and do my crime because the high probability is that I'm not going to get caught. If I get caught, I'm not going to be charged. If I get charged, I'm not going to be prosecuted. And if I'm prosecuted, I'm most likely going to get off. And so that, that's everything that's wrong with the city today. There are over 4,000 pending, serious criminal cases in the city of St. Louis waiting to be charged. You know how many uh, felony prosecutors the circuit attorney's office has? Eight. You know how many, how, many, how many assistant prosecuting attorneys they have for child support cases? Eight. And they've got 10 uh, additional uh, uh, support staff five investigators, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I'd go into a whole other topic about why it is that there's more need for child support enforcement in the city of St. Louis than there is for felony uh, prosecutors, but one might suspect that the social issues that are being promoted by the left, that is to say, uh, fatherless families and uh, no personal responsibility, might cause a great need for child support, and, by the way, prosecuting murderers and, and serious felons is, 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 of course, if you prosecute people for being felons, that's, that's uh, racist and white supremacist and all those kinds of things. Um, and so you, you can't spend a whole lot of money on that. So let's uh, let's um, take a look here. Kim Gardner, when it was announced that the attorney general had filed a, uh, an action to have her removed from office for her willful violation of her office, she gave a press conference. You know, at press conferences, usually it's a matter of uh the – Person making a statement and then standing up and answering questions from the press. Well, let's watch this for a couple of minutes and then I'm going to come back and ask you what you think. But did we not do nothing? That is not true. Kim, the mayor has said oh, yeah. that, that she, uh, in her opinion, you've lost the confidence of the public. You're in this to fight it and prove that you did the right thing. Can you get the public's confidence back at this point?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think, the public. The, public I think the public answered your question, sir. Can, can you answer that? We we're the question for we heard here to support her, and we're going to stand behind her 100%. That's okay. <laughs> Let's make sure you don't mean one of us. To support you you. Just you. To Can you answer the question? What's your reaction to the mayor saying you've lost the public's Tom Ask the mayor why she ain't okay, at the press okay, conference.
0: Okay, 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 just chill, okay? Just chill, just chill.
1: First of all, Let I'm gonna focus the on the people who elected me. The people have a process if they do not, no longer want me in this office, that's right. and that's called Let an election. And so I cannot speak for the people, and I will not address anything that the mayor said because I think the people should speak for themselves. Right. And we spoken. So what did you all think? This looked like a press conference or a riot, all right? You've got the uh, uh, circuit attorney standing up there with these thugs on either side of her. People are screaming and shouting. And they allow one question from the press, a guy named Kevin Colleen, I think, from, from KMOX Radio. He tries to ask a question to ask Kim Gardner how she responds to the mayor of St. Louis, another black progressive, saying that she's lost the confidence of the, of the people of St. Louis. And instead of an answer from the circuit attorney, the crowd shouts, jeers, threatens. And then one of the guys, the giant standing to Kim Gardner's left, when, when uh, the reporter says, did you hear my question? Can you answer my question? He says, well, I think the people answered your question. Is this, is this showing professionalism? Is this showing respect for law and order? Is this, is this disgraceful? And then I'll ask you this question. Look at Kim Gardner's face. What's on her face? She's got this vacant look. She's either v- totally um, stressed out She's drugged out. She's obviously so stupid she can't read her own printed words. But then, you know, in, in the illustrious words of Kim Gardner, you can't say she ain't done nothing, all right? But you sure, you sure as hell think that the United States could do better, the city of St. Louis could do better, we the people could do better for a circuit attorney than somebody that put on that mob riot as a press conference. Because how do you inspire, respect, respect, and discipline and law and order from the citizens of the city of St. Louis if what you do is you stage a riot in the guise of a press conference. You know, when we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit more about race relations in this country and how it's disintegrated recently and whether or not there's hope for the future.
0: More Mark McCloskey on fire coming up on News Talk STL. On fire. Mark McCloskey you're listening to Mark McCloskey on fire on
1: News Talk STL. So what the hell's going on in America today? I mean, we have uh, a, a country which is so divided ideologically and, and intentionally divided by race. You know, as, as long as I've been alive and for a lot of time going on before that, the whole concept was that we're all one people, that we're all one entity working together for a common good. The people shouldn't be judged by, by their color or their religion or by the national origin, but that everybody that came to this country, and, and by the way, almost all of us came into this country. We came in here uh, to work together to make this country stronger and, sta- and safer and more stable, wealthier, that we we're going to be a melting pot. We we're all going to work together for the common good. Well, and most of the people that we're, were uh, interested in the in the future of this country, interested in promoting those things, the common good, we're working towards eliminating the concept that race divides us, or religion divides us, or national origin divides us, but at the same time, working in the same country, in the background, and throughout the world for that matter, were people of evil intent who thought that they could use, and, and it's turning out to be correctly so, that they could use race as a way to divide us. Here in Missouri, we have the great seal of the state of Missouri. And it says around um, the the circle in the middle, it says, United we stand and divided we fall. Well, the problem is that that the oldest trick in the book is to divide and conquer, to find ways to divide people along racial lines or or social lines. You know, the old Marxist uh, tact was to divide people by their social economic status. Problem is in America now, everybody's doing pretty well. So if you want to make people upset, it's pretty hard to do it economically, so you've got to make them upset about something else. And that something has been erased. And if you think this is new, um, I'll tell you a little story. I, I like to tell little stories. Back when I was in, uh, in, in college, um, I uh, wrote a, an essay on a poem by a guy named Etheridge Knight. And one of the, uh, one of the, the footnotes on that referenced a, a pamphlet called Leon Trotsky on Black Nationalism in America. And this was a, a, a paper written in the 1930s in various meetings between Leon Trotsky, the one of the three guys that founded the Bolshevik Revolution and in the, in the Soviet Empire. And he's meeting with, with uh, other communists over a period of time from 1933 to 1939. And a lot of these conferences took place in a place called Coyoacan, Mexico. And in 1939, they published this pamphlet, and I'm going to read from it, okay? And, and it outlined a communist-led black nationalist movement to create a separate black state in the United States. And I'm going to uh, to read their language. Don't, don't get mad at my terminology because it's not mine. I'm reading what communists wrote in 1939. And you can tell from the way it's phrased that they really don't give a poop about black people in America. What they want is to have world domination. And if they can use blacks as a pawn, they're perfectly happy to do it. So this is what this is what they suggested amongst many other things back in 1939. Quote, a number of Negroes in any area going into a restaurant altogether, ordering, for instance, coffee and uh, refusing to leave, and throw upon the police the necessity of removing these Negroes, a campaign to be built around such action. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like Rosa Parks to you? I mean, this was all framed up in the 30s by the Communist International. And then you got folks like Louis Farrakhan, right? And the Nation of Islam, a racist, anti Semitic, not non-integration entity that has been working to create a schism between whites and blacks for as long as I've been alive. The very heart of the BLM movement in Antifa is the exact same thing, to gin up racial animus, to cause blacks to hate whites, and to cause white folks that have never had a racist bone in their body their whole lives and never had a racist thought to now distrust blacks and to, and to think that in terms of, of racial conflict instead of racial resolution. And it's being worked every single day by the mainstream mess, press. Um, recently, a uh, Rasmussen poll uh, did a poll of 1,000 people at random around the country with one of the questions was, is it okay to be white? And the results were kind of, kind of shocking to me. It turns out that 47% of the African Americans polled said that it's not okay to be, right, to be white. Not okay to be white. Can you imagine the firestorm if 47% of white people said it's not okay to be black? That would be the most racist and horrible thing that the press could ever possibly imagine. But when 47% of black people say it's not okay to be white and white people respond to it, the white people are evil. There's a guy named Scott Adams, who you might know. He was the... Uh, the guy who created the, the Dilbert cartoons, and he's uh, syndicated in some 2,000 papers around the world um, and been very successful for a long time. Well, he uh, he saw that, and he's got a podcast, and he uh, was talking about it, and he says that if 47% of blacks don't think it's okay to be white, then blacks are to a hate group, those, those blacks. Um, and he said something like, you know, white people should stay the hell away from those black people if those black people don't think they have a right to exist. So what's the, what's the backlash he's gotten for merely pointing out the obvious? He got canned everywhere. His career has been destroyed. I think the, the comment I saw today was that he's trying to become a victim even though he has been a, a perpetrator of hate. So when you have uh, 47% of the, of the blacks polled saying that it's not okay just to be white, if you point that out and say maybe that constitutes some hate on their part, then you are the hater. It only goes one direction, and that's because there's no desire out there, absolutely no desire by the uh, mainstream media, even by the even by those uh, media outlets that we would consider conservative, to to soothe the racial discord, to to show our similarities, and there and you know you get on you get on Fox Television and you're Larry Elder, or you're Candace Owens, or you're Leo Terrell, or even if you're Ben Carson. And you recognize the, uh, the the faults for the current system, and how we need to bring people together and not tear them apart. They are they are just voices in the wind compared to the the maelstrom of hate that's being propagated uh, in allegedly under the uh, guise of diversity and inclusion and equity. When in fact, it's just divisive and hateful. And we have to we have to get over the fear of being called racist for pointing out that they are racist. We have to get over the fear of being called white supremacists if we point out the fact that they have an animus against us, at least the, the people that are promoting this. And, I, and I, I have to back up. They don't really have an animus against us, and they don't really have a, an animus against any race or any gender or anything else. What they have is an animus, a hatred for freedom and democracy. They have a hatred for our former government. They have a hatred for our, for our republic. And if they can use one group against the other... If they can use one race against the other or one class against the other or one nationality against the other or anything they can possibly think of to drive a wedge between us, to divide us so they can conquer us, they will do it because they really don't care about what mechanism they use. The, the powers that be don't care what you believe in as long as you believe in it strongly enough that they can use it against you to divide you from your fellow man. And that's something we really have to have to pay attention to. And so you now have um, Marjorie Taylor Greene the other day talking about the need for a national divorce and the concept that that our, our people are now so divided ideologically that it's it's reached a point of no return where we can no longer be that melting pot, that the, uh, the powers that sought to destroy us have achieved that solid bowl that they want, that non-integration, that division into separate ideologues and separate uh, uh, beliefs, uh, to where it can no longer be restored where we can't come back together as, as a single people and that the red states and the blue states need to part their ways, not politically and not physically, but by just, for example, in uh, forcing the terms of the 10th Amendment. And the 10th Amendment is kind of an interesting document. It's uh, like all the amendments, to the U.S. Constitution. It's very simple and straightforward. It says the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are preserved are reserved rather to the states respectively or to the people. And so the question then becomes how do we achieve that restoration of our individual liberties? How do we restore that uh, that constitutional right for the people and the states to be in charge of their own, of their own futures to the extent that they, the government has not co-opted those through the to the federal government uh, through the constitution. The answer to that is we have to work together as a people. I say this every night, I'll say it every day I'm alive, you know, we had this uh, this little thing called the Declaration of Independence, and we have this thing called the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, and that includes the words like, um, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And the reason that word indivisible is in there is because to divide us is to conquer us. I sound like a broken record, but to unite us is to make us strong. And we have to learn that we are a strong people together. We have to stand together as one. We have to stand up and shout every day that we will not be sheep, that we will not be cowed, that we will not be taken over, we will not have our thoughts and our minds and our language controlled by the people that seek to destroy us. We will stand together as one people, people that are proud of our national heritage, proud of our country, proud of our founding fathers, proud of what has made this country the greatest country on earth, proud to kneel when we pray and stand for the American flag. You know, when we come back, I'm gonna talk to you a little bit um, about the United States as a world policeman and what it is that we're doing with our political capital, with our actual funds, with our national treasury, and with the future of our young children and young men and women.
0: We don't get fooled again. do Get more Mark McCloskey at NewstalkSTL.com. Mark McCloskey on fire. On News Talk STL. You're listening to Mark McCloskey
1: on fire on News Talk STL. You know, the United States is trying to be the world policeman, but we got to talk to ourselves about why that makes any sense and what the heck are we doing around the world. You know, the United States currently has military bases in over 170 countries. We have 200,000 United States soldiers stationed around the world. And we're not doing this necessarily for the sake of freedom and democracy, but it might have something to do with dollar bills. Hi, this is Mark McCloskey. We're back here on News Talker, uh, STL. And I'm on fire about this. When I can tell you that, what what's the purpose of war? Okay, throughout history, you got to ask yourself why did people fight wars? Traditionally, wars were fought for a, a, a real purpose: to expand the territory of a nation, to increase the wealth of a nation, to increase the the, the uh, um, uh, power and culture of a nation. And, and quite frankly, in, in ye olde days, to exterminate your competition, right? But, you know, if you think about people like Alexander the Great or Caesar or Napoleon, for that matter, Genghis Khan, what do these people do? They seize territory. They increase the, the territorial expanse of their nations. They did so to increase the wealth and power and security of their people. And that's, you know, what is, what's the purpose of war unless you're going to do something that benefits your people why sacrifice your money why sacrifice the lives of your of your children why sacrifice your towns and villages for the sake of war unless there's something to be gained for your people out of it the whole concept of war was either to improve your lot in life and the lot of your people or to defend yourselves against people that uh, wanted to take it away from you you know and i digress but i tend to digress uh, for for a very long time, we've all heard the phrase that freedom isn't free. Well, I've always taken the opposite approach on that. I've always believed that we're all born free. But, you know, there's always some SOB out there that wants to take your freedom away from you. And it's not that your freedom isn't free, but the preservation of your freedom depends upon you exercising your power to keep those filthy SOBs from taking your power away from you. Um, but let's let's take a look. At uh, at what's gone on in the uh, in the in the recent past. So, so if the purpose of war was either to increase your territory, wealth, and power, and increase the uh, the quality of life for your for your people, you know what's happened in the last hundred years in this country. You know what's happened in the United States. What have we gained from war? Um, you know, World War One ended, uh, and uh, what what was the end result of that? We succeeded in. Uh, destroying european aristocracy we uh, succeeded in uh, amongst other things uh, taking large empires run by by hereditary monarchs that uh, that run, ran those countries as if they were their own property because they were carved them up into little uh, territories run by by smaller governments that were constantly in conflict with each other and that kind of goes back to the basic concept of divide and conquer But what did the United States gain? What did we as a nation gain from the end of World War I? Did we gain property? No. Did we gain wealth? No. Did we destroy an enemy that was actually a threat to the United States? No. Um, But we did it to go out there and once again uh, rescue our friends from tyranny. Uh, But did we do so? I don't know. A few years later, we had this thing called the Second World War, where the alleged purpose was to uh, save the world from fascism, uh, which which we claim we did, but uh, at the same time, what was the end result of World War Two? We uh, gave all of Eastern Europe to the Soviet Union. We consigned hundreds of millions of people to slavery for forty five years, and uh, and then claimed a victory at, at that. And then we created a power struggle, a a, a, f- a empire of the Soviet Union, which was the only empire in the in the world that could challenge the might of this nation. And we plunged ourselves into 45 years of Cold War where the uh, Soviet Union spent, in today's dollars, billions and billions of dollars every year trying to undermine all the democracies in the world and succeeded in doing so throughout Africa and Central and South America. And so the uh, the great reap of reward for the United States for sacrificing a half a million lives and tremendous money and tremendous effort – was that we subjected Eastern Europe to 45 years of slavery and gave the Soviet Union domination over all of the East and most of, of South and Central America. So then, since then, things have gotten even worse. There's this little thing called the Korean conflict. We can't call it a war because we, I don't think we ever declared war, and we can't call it over because it's not over yet. We, we never declared victory. What we had was a, was a treaty so now, after once again the sacrifice of untold capital and lives, um, and uh, an effort, uh, we still have a North Korea and a South Korea. We have a huge force of soldiers standing on the DMZ, standing up there, freezing to death in the wintertime. My uh, my ex brother in law was so was on the DMZ when he was in the army, and you know when my sister went to visit him, he she was surprised that it's like. 50 degrees below zero at the DMZ in the wintertime. This is not a fun place to be stationed. But we actually had a chance of doing something useful for the United States during the Korean War, and that was to uh, go in and take the communists out of China, right? And uh, General MacArthur had every ability to do it. He wanted to do it. And uh, the powers would be the, the permanent government that rules this world, declared that we could not go and protect the United States against communist expansionism. We had to let the Chinese communists be. Uh, The Communists took over China in 1949. By the end of the of the Korean War, their their government was in its infancy. They were weak. They were a little like babes in the arms and MacArthur could have gone in there and solved the problem, which has now grown to a monster which will destroy us. Um, And uh, he was not allowed to do so because doing something actually in the interests of the United States was impermissible. So we reach a stalemate, China grows to be a monster, and now we're facing our our imminent demise at the hands of a country that every day pledges to destroy us militarily, economically, and socially. So we progress forward to to my generation, and we have this thing in Vietnam called the Vietnam War, a war which was originally created by the CIA. And uh, after Many, many years of of, uh, combat, many, many years of the worst combat than what actually happened in Vietnam, but the combat of ideas in the United States and the enlargement of the the left and the birth of such things as the Black Panther Party and the Weather Underground and all these other radical communist organizations. Um, What do we achieve in Vietnam? Well, we abandon Vietnam. We let the communists take over. We let the population get slaughtered. We allow... Uh, Vietnam to become a, a economic powerhouse of th- Southeast Asia, with whom we now regularly transact business. Okay? So the loss of those fifty thousand American lives, the loss of all those billions of dollars in money, the uh, the loss of uh, respect for law and order, and the lo- loss of respect for our, our men and human, human men and women in uniform, when they'd come back from the Vietnam War and be spat upon and disrespected by the population our reward for that is making a communist country ever stronger. And then we get into conflicts in the modern world where every single one is designed to do the same thing, and that is to deplete our resources, to dispirit the American people, and to squander our our international reputation, starting with the Gulf War, right? Uh, We we, uh, claim that Saddam Hussein's invasion of Kuwait required us to put a half a million soldiers on the ground over there and slaughter uh, the Iraqi army, and we did so. To, to what event, to what effect, did we make any money? Did we acquire any property? Did we increase our influence in the Middle East? Did we even get rid of Saddam Hussein, which we were told was a great evil? No. We once again we pushed them back to their borders. We slaughtered a lot of their their soldiers. Uh, we uh, we killed a lot of their tanks, and then we forgot about it for a couple of years. Well, then we have nine one one, and I, I spoke about nine one one. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, so I won't go back into that. But then we pretend like that is is a uh, is an enemy that needs to be defeated at all costs, as the uh, the Al Qaeda guerrillas, the fighters, uh, the uh, the evil forces that that destroyed the World Trade Center and and crashed a an invisible plane into the Pentagon. Um, but uh, um, what exactly did we do in Afghanistan? Um, we uh, we went to war. We toppled their government, and then we create a morass of anarchy uh, that persists to this day, all in the pretense that they wouldn't cough up Osama bin Laden. Well, we destroyed that government overnight. We then were in possession of the country for 20 years. For 10 years, we couldn't find Osama bin Laden, the very same thing that we defeated that country for not doing, right? We said, give us Osama bin Laden or we'll, we'll kill you all. And uh, they said, we don't know where he is. And so we went to war and we killed a lot of them. And then we couldn't find Osama bin Laden. Then it turns out he was living next door in Pakistan, which is our ally. Did we go bomb the crap out of, out of Pakistan for harboring Osama bin Laden for all those years? No. No, they're our best friends, right? So we send in some SEALs to go kill Osama bin Laden and his wife and his family and, and all those sorts of things. And then throw his body overseas, um, overboard at sea so he can't have a proper Islamic burial and all those other things we can do to to insult his people. But, you know, but then we find out that there's this guy named Saddam Hussein who's living in Iraq, and by gosh, he's got weapons of mass destruction, and therefore he must die and his country must be destroyed. And Colonel uh, or General Colonel, Colin Powell stands up in front of the United Nations and says, we know that Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. We know how many he has, and we know where he has them. And uh, so we've got to go destroy Iraq to, pr- to save the world, from Iraqi weapons of mass destruction, and we go in there with shock and awe, and you just see the uh, the drool coming out of the corners of the mouths of these hawks like Don Rumsfeld, and uh, um, gosh, uh, what was the name of that vice president? Oh yeah, Dick Cheney, whose whose daughter is such a star, you know, for the Republican Party, just 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 lathering at the at the at the lips to go to war and kill some people, and so we go to war in Iraq, and we. We slaughter the population of Iraq. We uh, uh, have Saddam Hussein hauled out of his hiding in, a, in what they called a spider hole and hang him like lynch him and hang him like uh, like those things that we're not supposed to do in this country because it's barbaric right and then we, we push their country into chaos, despair, lawlessness, and poverty. We uh, impose sanctions where we starve two million of them to death, including maybe a million children, and we declare this a great victory for for democracy, for the West. And what have we gained out of it? What have we as the American people gained out of that war, or the war in Afghanistan, or the prior Gulf War? Have we gained any territory? Have we gained any wealth? Have, have those wars paid for themselves the way we were promised by increased oil revenues from the vast oil fields that we're going to inherit as a result of, of causing death and mayhem around the world? I think the answer might be no. Well, and now we're, we're pushed into something else right now as I speak, and that's uh, the the most obscene thing that I, that's happened in my lifetime, and that's this new war in the Ukraine, a war which would never have happened if uh, Trump had been president, a war which should not have happened even with Joe Biden as president, but a war which we are promoting. The vast majority of American citizens are opposed to aid to Ukraine. But who's in favor of it? Virtually every single politician. And why? Well, there's a dollar sign that answers that question. And that dollar sign is created by the military-industrial complex. The the people that build armaments, the people that build airplanes— people that build rockets, the people that build missiles, the people that make ammunition, the people that are going to make billions and billions and billions of dollars from a war in Iraq, Iraq, war in Ukraine, um, and if they can make it happen, a war with Russia itself, a uh, a self-defeating, possibly life-ending uh, conflict with a heavily nuclear-armed enemy that's poverty-stricken, desperate, and has no other recourse if we attack it or cause NATO to attack it other than lashing out with the only thing they've got, which is a couple of thousand of big nukes, right? Um, And so, you know, the most obscene thing that I've ever seen is uh, how the United States, both political parties and every single network, including the ones that call themselves conservative, promote the Ukrainian war as this war to protect democracy when the Ukrainian government is one of the most corrupt governments on the planet – that uh, Vladimir Zelensky has uh, imprisoned his political opponents, shut down all the opposition press. There is no accounting for the $113 billion which we've already spent on Iraq. Iraq, I keep saying that. Spent on the Ukraine um, while our own borders are unsecured, while we've got 5 million illegal aliens pouring through our borders, when the people of East Palestine, Ohio, are, are subjected to uh, toxic fallout, from one of the most deadly chemicals on the planet. And when Donald Trump goes to East Palestine, Ohio, to see what he can do to help, the current alleged president of the United States goes to Ukraine, goes to Kiev, and gives the criminal dictator of uh, Ukraine another half billion dollars, okay? Does this make sense to anybody at all? Well, it makes sense if you want to keep fighting wars. Do you know that, that uh, we're fighting wars all over the world right now? Do you know that we have something called the U.S. Africa Command? Do you know that we're fighting a war in Somalia right now? Do you know that we are killing people on a virtually daily basis, people that are called, um, I'll, I'll make sure I don't get it wrong here since I keep calling Ukraine um, Iraq. There is a, uh, our battle in uh, Somalia is against an entity called the Al-Shabaab fighters, right? Look up the government of Somalia. This is a small country on the uh, east coast of Africa. It is as corrupt an entity as there could possibly be. They've got military courts that just execute people. There's absolutely no semblance of democracy there. And yet, we are on a daily basis engaged in fighting and using airstrikes to kill these people. I mean, every day, the President of the United States has a kill list of people to go over there and murder. Um, When Donald Trump became president, he pulled us out of Somalia. When Joe Biden became president, he put us back in. But this is just one of many, many places around the world where the United States has got troops engaged in actual conflict, actual combat, where the United States is killing people on rumor or inference or because somebody wants to get even with their next door neighbor by claiming that they're some kind of al-Qaeda or uh, But they're not fighting for democracy and they're not fighting for freedom. They're fighting to create eventually this one world socialist government. These wars are all designed for the same purpose and that's to deplete our resources deplete our, our uh, military readiness to deplete our assets to demoralize our people and to remove the concept of any real purpose for war other than to satisfy the pockets of the military-industrial complex um, it just it, it there's no other word for it than treason when when the leaders of our country will sacrifice our money our youth, our physical capital, and our political capital to further the economic interests of their supporters, of their contributors, and to further the, eco- the political interests of those people that seek to destroy us. And by the way, if you think we're fighting for freedom around the world, think about the fact that the United States is about to cede our sovereignty to the World Health Organization, a, uh, uh, an entity run by a communist radical named Tedros uh, Gabiasis. Tedros Gaviesis, the uh, director general of the World Health Organization, just re-elected by a unanimous vote like always happens in communist organizations, um, used to run something called the Tigray People's Liberation Front, a communist terrorist organization. This guy, who we now are going to cede our sovereignty to, who is going to be in control of the worldwide quote pandemic response, who will have the authority to tell us each one of the member states of the World Health Organization, which now includes the United States, will have to create a police force to enforce the rules of the World health Organization, and something that the Biden administration insisted be in that in that uh, treaty the world Trans- uh, world pandemic treaty is that the the Uh, member nations will not have any control over the World Health Organization forces in their own country. We will be subjected to police forces in our country run by the World Health Organization over whom we expressly have no control. What reason on earth, what possible excuse, what logical basis could the United States have in ceding the liberty of American citizens to an entity run by a communist who, by the way, wanted to have Robert Mugabe the butcher of Rhodesia, um, be their uh, public information director, right? Fortunately, God has called Mr. Mugabe back home so we don't have to worry about him anymore. But, I mean, just think about the nonsense of that. The only thing crazier than uh, giving control of the United States to uh, the World Health Organization is investing in virology labs in Wuhan, China. Um, And, you know, we have to just say this cannot happen. We have to just say that if one penny of our money is spent furthering the communist take over the world it's one penny too much and people always talk about oh you know you can't you can't uh, beat china it's too big too big to fail well i got news for you we can defeat china over the weekend just don't shop at walmart right if you, if we just stop doing business with china 21 years ago we invited china into the world trade organization with the with a um, alleged belief that it would grow into a democracy well you know that's that 's like saying that if you keep throwing mice at the uh, at the rattlesnake eventually it 's going to become a kitten. This is just total nonsense, but we can control China because it cannot exist without our money. We can control China because it cannot feed itself twenty five percent of all our soybeans go to China. just cut it off just don 't buy from China don 't sell them food and they 'll starve don 't buy at Walmart and they 'll die economically we this is this is a creature that we have created. This is a monster which we have raised from an egg, and it's now time to cut that monster's head off. And every time some politician tells you that we've got to go to war here or police this area or do some nation-building someplace, just ask yourself, who's getting paid, where the money's going, and why is there absolutely no accountability? Once again, I'll say it again like I did in the last segment, each and every one of us needs to stand up and just say no, to resist, to refuse to conform, to recognize the fact that our leaders that we elect – 99% of the time, are covering their own rear end at our expense. And we just have to say, no, we will be a free people. We will not be sheep. We will stand up and we will support the United States, the Constitution, and our republic.
0: Get more Mark McCloskey at NewstalkSTL.com.